How's it going, everybody? Thank you so much for listening. I am really excited to bring this episode to you. Uh, it's a conversation that I've been really looking forward to having. And now that it's in the books, I couldn't be more excited to bring it to all of you to listen to. You may be familiar with my guest from the Joe Rogan experience, um, not as a guest of the show, but as an artist whose artwork has been talked about countless numbers of times. Um, his artwork hung in the Los Angeles studio, and he's even created some new art uh, for Joe in Texas. He's a Western artist. He specializes in Native American artwork. And when I connected with him a couple of months ago, we had a conversation and I knew that um, a podcast would be really cool. And so we do talk about art. We talk about his journey, a lot of life lessons. And um, he's a really, really cool guy. So please give it up for my guest, Greg Overton. But before we enjoy this episode, a really quick shout out to our sponsor, Action. Now, if you're a coffee drinker, you need to head to drinkaction.com, and that's action with a K, and you need to order some of this specialty roast coffee, which is sourced from Guatemala. It's small batch roasted upon your order in Austin, Texas, and then it's shipped expeditiously to your doorstep. If you type in code word curious during your checkout, you'll get 15% off. And if you want to have this automated so that every 30 days you have fresh coffee sent to your house without having to think about it, you can sign up for the subscription model and that'll save you 20% off. In addition to some of the best coffee that you'll taste, Action also has natural supplements, things like turmeric and hemp, which are really good for anti-inflammation, um, anti-anxiety, as well as fuel, which is an MCT bomb. So it gives you a great clean energy boost and amplified, which is a coffee and MCT combination. Really great stuff. Like I said, if you use code word curious, you'll get 15% off. And uh, I couldn't recommend it more. Thank you and enjoy the show. happy to be here yeah for sure so i you know i think for anybody who doesn't know who greg is um i'm gonna tag you in your social uh, on a post on my instagram so by the time this thing releases that'll be up um but definitely go check out his work so you're i mean you're an artist a, a very talented artist um and you focus primarily on western art and native american artwork so yeah. Um, you know, a lot of people may be familiar with your work because of the notoriety it really got behind the Joe Rogan experience and Joe getting behind your work and really giving you a lot of, a lot of, uh, public view, but, you know, maybe if you can give like a brief overview of what it is that you do kind of, you know, how you got to where you are. And then from our conversation the other day, um, there's a couple of things I wanted to dive into and I think we'll make organic conversation pretty smooth from there. All right. Well, I mean, I started doing Western art when I was a little kid, just saw uh, like Russell and Remington saw their work in books. My grandma was a painter, uh, like painted landscapes and stuff. So I think there was a lot of books around like uh, Native American stuff <clears throat> for me to look at. And so those, those artists just kind of captivated. And then the photographs of those old black and whites of like uh, 
Sitting Bull, Geronimo, all of them. Mm-hmm. I remember looking at that stuff just being just totally fascinating, right? And so I would kind of uh, just emulate their works, doing watercolors when I was a little kid. And I still have some of them. And it looks a lot like what I'm doing now. So I just always was so into that culture because I think I saw, I mean, and I still see something that's missing from our culture today, which is just this fierce individualism, I would call it. Because in in those societies, they had a, a real system of rites of passage where you would rise up and you were this integrated part of the whole, right? And in, I think this, the problem with our society is it's so fragmented. The culture isn't clear. The culture isn't like, you know, I'm a part of this and I belong. It's kind of like, it's this, it's this consumerist, uh, conformist system that is unnatural to a human being. It's almost right? like people feel like if they, if they step out for the day and don't contribute, nobody misses them. Where in those, you know, those like Native American cultures, if somebody wasn't there to do their job that day, people could, you know, possibly die or starve. So there's yeah. like such a, a higher gravity of their, you know, their actions on a day-to-day basis. Yeah, it's such more, you're just so much more bonded with, with your environment, with, with the tribe. You know, there was definitely no one who was sort of left out. You know, that was the worst thing that you could do to someone like in a, you know, an old Viking society. They didn't have prisons. They wouldn't lock people up. The worst thing you would do to someone was banish them, right? And here it's almost like, God, in our society, dude, everybody's been banished from each other. Or we have this sort of pseudo communication where people have these fake identities that are these avatars that we kind of, that represent us which is totally, completely unnatural. We're going, why is there all this mental illness and stuff going on with people? They're not meeting face to face. They're not talking to anybody that's kind of like helping them get through things. Have you, you seen know? the social dilemma, that new documentary that everybody's talking about on Netflix? No, no. I mean, I've been thinking about that stuff for years, just the effect it has on people. How it's like, I remember, uh, like I was talking to my daughter today about that, uh, about this same thing. And I brought up that Beastie Boys song, everybody's rapping like it's a commercial. And there's no reason for most people to do that. They're not selling anything mm-hmm. except their stupid image that they don't have any reason to sell. It's like you have all the drawbacks of fame with none of the benefits. It's crazy. You have all the, the, the downside of fame. You're not making any money. It's like you're a public figure. It's, yeah, it's crazy. It's, it's, it's upside down. So, it, you know, that's what draws people to my art is it's just like it's kind of like connecting with some the old school way yeah we were talking about like i i look at your stuff and i'm just like blown away like the first time i saw your artwork it was it just it spoke to me there was so much energy i don't know if energy is the right word but there's like energy to it and we were saying how you know you're, you were saying i'm not the most skilled painter now i would you know say you're one of the most skilled painters i've ever come across but I get what you're saying in that term, but I, it's that approach that you have in the way that you paint, which I think gives your stuff such a energy, you know, back to that word, right? Well, uh, the Chinese, when they re- refer to art or when they kind of critique art, they say, does it have chi? Does it have chi, right? Which is energy. And so, that, I mean, I think that's a, a good way to judge art is if it has that 
emotional content, like what Bruce Lee says at the beginning of Enter the Dragon. Mm -hmm. It's the same thing. It's kind of like you can be, you can do this beautiful kata and your movements are all technically precise, but there's no creativity behind it. There's no spirit behind it. So it's, it's totally missing something. There's a lot of artists who are great. They went to, to art school. They learned all the technique and they have a real similar palette. And their, their art really looks a lot alike, you know, most people. And they're wondering, well, why, why aren't I breaking out? Why am I not making it? Well, you're not doing anything outside the box. If I can't look at your stuff on a wall and say, oh, they did that because you have a style, then you're not being an artist. You're not actually being creative. You're just emulating what you were taught. The whole point of art really, you know, the same thing as music. It's trying to get somebody to, to connect with, with a human emotion so they can kind of maybe make it through their life. A little bit yeah. better you know yeah i was gonna say that like i know you have a musical background and i'm thinking of it and it's like there's a lot of guitar players that are out there you can look on instagram there's just countless numbers of people who are so talented they can play every scale super fast super clean but yeah. it doesn't speak to you like listening to hendrix you know playing on a a, a dirty strat kind of missing notes every once in a while but the the feeling that he put into that music yeah. And, you know, and then a guy like Stevie Ray Vaughan that comes behind that. And to your point, like, obviously was influenced heavily by Hendrix, but right. had his own touch and flair that he was able to put on top of that and take it to that next place. And, you know, it's like, I appreciate that type of stuff so much when you hear a voice like Janis Joplin or Amy Winehouse, and it's not perfect but it is perfect, you know, it's, yeah. it's, it's perfectly it's exactly perfect. what you need. Yes. Well, because the truth is, man, if you're trying to do something perfect, make something perfect, all you're really trying to do is show off. And it's kind of like an exercise for your ego to be that perfect and technical. And it's also impossible. And you'll kind of hammer the spirit out of your art. Uh, the, the Navajo, when they make a blanket, they leave a, a thread out of place. They call that the spirit thread because like only the, the creator can make something perfect. You know, the world, all of us, all the animals, but we're not, we're not like real creators. We're just kind of, I don't know, recreators, I guess. So we can't, you know, tie our, tie our hands by trying to make something perfect. You just have to enjoy making something unique, you know? And if you can, if you can tell the truth about how you feel about something, with your art people are going to love it and because a, a lot of people are like you you know there's so many similarities with people in every way so if you kind of speak with your true voice there's a whole bunch of people out there who are going to totally get that and be like they're going to see that stuff but then hear that song and they're going to be like oh yeah they'll totally agree with it they'll pay for it they'll, they'll love your music whatever mm -hmm. but the thing about uh being an artist or musician or whatever is a lot of times we play to the audience you know, or we play to the gallery, which is the biggest mistake you can make. You're already screwed. If you think that way at all, you're lying. You know what I mean? You're totally full of shit. You're, you're trying to think with someone else's mind. You're trying to see with someone else's eyes. You just have to, like what I always try to do is I think if I was on a desert island and I didn't have anything to do, all I had was some paint and some good canvases and all this stuff and a bunch of time, what would I paint for me? And if you do that, you're going to paint something really cool. People are going to love it. It's going to be honest. 
and and totally real but if you if you kind of were like anything but that it'll be diluted and People it'll be tell. yeah yeah because everybody has this uh like bullshit detector when it comes to people when you first meet somebody you can tell if if that person would like be dishonest you just have this gut instinct people are really good like just analytical computers that's no. what freaks me out about this whole pandemic stuff, man. Like not to go down a rabbit hole, but you're covering up your face. You're not shaking hands. Wow. I, I come from a world where when I meet somebody, it's that 30 seconds, that first 30 seconds when I shake their hands and I oh. look in their eyes that I'm trying to figure them out. You either, either like them or you don't, you relate to them or you don't. Yeah. And now everybody's so estranged that all you can see is like a bunch of ninjas with their hoods up and, and just eyes and everybody's got these like bewildered eyes, man. It's crazy. It's, I mean, it's like, uh, geez, I don't know, man. It's, it's totally surreal. I feel like I'm just living in like an episode of the twilight zone that won't end. It's like twilight zone meets groundhog day meets, I don't even know what it's just yeah. a shit show. The, the world anymore. I mean, I can't believe it. And it's like, you can't even say, what you think are going to piss off half the people and they're going to come at you and, and, you know, try to cancel you or whatever, just because I disagree with you. Is it, is it like, there's no freedom of speech anymore. I can't say, well, I, I think this is bullshit that you're doing. I think that's bullshit that, that they're doing. Like I thought that's what America was supposed to be about and state their own. That's what opinion. makes us great. That's I mean, that's, yeah. that is what like makes us grow as, as individuals is not by whitewashing and telling everybody, this is how you have to do it. But by allowing, I mean, it's, it's unfortunate. It's the unfortunate truth, but progress, real progress is made by making mistakes and learning from those mistakes. Otherwise yeah. it's just disingenuous. It's not real. And it, I don't, it skeeves me out. I get a weird feeling about it, but. But nobody's, nobody's willing to do that because it's like, you know, the magician, the art of distraction, that's what they're doing to us. They're going coronavirus. Oh my God. It's, you know, and. I mean, I don't know, dude. Nobody knows because it's the, it's the not the information age; it's the misinformation age, where you know all the the media outlets. It's just like, well, they basically work for one side or the other, mm-hmm. so you can't even you can't even trust them. It's not even a thing anymore to be to separate fact from opinion and to say this is an editorial statement I'm about to make. You're supposed to make that disclaimer, and the 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 press is supposed to be a noble. Uh, occupation was supposed to almost be another branch of the government back in the day that worked for the people that that really was a watchdog on the government and now it's just well they're a bunch of shills you know it's disappointing one side or the other yeah it doesn't matter which channel you tune into you know what i mean i get sick of hearing that too it's like oh whenever i watch cnn it's like look man it's the same on both sides sean hannity's just as big of an asshole as don lemon is my you know i mean it's just like but i get it they they've got to sell and it's it's yeah. crazy because I would have thought that the age of information with the internet would have made it so that things were so clear that there wasn't any confusion because you could just find the answer. But I, I think everybody missed that it would also open up the door for all kinds of bullshit information and make it so that you don't know what's, what's true and what isn't. Yeah. And that's, I mean, uh, a good way to kind of sabotage any institution is to spread misinformation about it. You know, I, I read this uh, this book by Robert Anton Wilson years ago, Prometheus Rising, that talked about subversive literature. Like, if you wanted to target 
And this was this is back in like the analog time. So if you wanted to, to target some school or something, let's say you wanted to mess with their minds, you would throw a bunch of flyers in the hall that says there's school on Saturday now. And everyone would just freak out. There's no school on Saturday, but everyone would freak out, you know, and that's just a small example of what they're doing to us in in every way. And it's kind of like, um, you know, the Japanese say the, the nail that stands up will be pounded down. So people are afraid to speak up about this. Even myself, I think, you know, I was a punk rocker when I was a kid. I've always hated authority, mistrusted the government. And it's just gotten worse. I mean, I'm successful at what I do. I have a family and everything, but I'm just like, man, this system that we live in is so corrupt. I live in Salt Lake City and the air here gets so bad in the, in the winter, you can barely breathe. It's like Beijing, mm. right? I mean, I, I go snowboarding a lot, and so I'm up in the mountains most of the winter, out of the bad air. Every time I come back in the valley, I'm just like, sick with how they let it get. And the gov the governor here, this guy Gary Herbert, he just lets the companies Mort Thiokol and Kennecott just pollute the shit out of this valley and kill people. And they're going, well, uh, don't drink, watch out for your drunk driving, don't smoke. It's like you guys are all taking years off your life just doing this you know and that guy's supposed to be a leader i mean how do people like that sleep at night um, well um, and then they put themselves behind a, a position like abortion or gay rights or something that's like very touches on somebody at the deepest and then they look past all of those other things and yep. you stand for somebody because of these moral positions that they pretend to take in a lot of cases you know but are you so i mean you seem to know you know a lot of history did you have like a, an interest in history growing up where you like really like into that type of stuff? I was always into history. So it's like, for me, it, it resonates, but. Yeah. I mean, I've always read a lot about native American history and that's how I researched most of my art was just getting into books, like reading biographies about crazy horse, about sitting bull, uh, Geronimo. I've read all their life stories. So it's mm -hmm. kind of like, that's where I started off with my art for sure. But then, you know, as, as I keep going, you know, I travel to different uh, reservations and meet people. And I realize it's not just a history thing. I mean, I went up to, to South Dakota and I, I thought, I, mean, I didn't know what to expect. I got invited to this artist ride thing where all the most, uh, well, not the most, but like some of the most popular Western artists go up there to take photographs. It's like a bunch of reenactors go up there so you can get good, reference photos right and I didn't know what to expect but I went up there and met this Lakota family that's still I mean they still raise their horses they still train them to race they still it was just amazing to me that the culture is still alive like I raced these dudes in my car I hung out with them for about three days and camped out with them and, and heard stories and stuff and we made good friends uh, but I was amazed that the culture is is still it's still thriving despite all of the, the oppression and the bullshit that they've put them through, trying to really kill these, this culture. It was an attempt at a genocide. I mean, it really was to put them out there on a reservation, on an island, just starve them. Just go, well, we're gonna give you these annuities. We're gonna give you just a minimum amount of, of resources and just let's see if you survive. So, and they've been out there for, you know, over a hundred years now, and it's a testament to their strength of character and strength of will that, that they haven't just all completely 
disappeared. And those cultures are still strong, man. They're still surviving. Those people still have their, uh, like the core of their culture is still alive and it, it's growing. It's pretty cool to see. Yeah. You told me a really interesting thing, which was that your mentor in, in a lot of ways was Michael Blake, who yeah. wrote Dances with Wolves. And yeah. you were telling me how that story came to be. And it's kind of impacted how you paint, right? And uh, if you could tell that, because I I'll, won't do it justice, but it was so interesting to me. Well, I met Michael Blake through the Leonard Peltier Defense Committee. I don't know if a lot of people these days even know who Leonard Peltier is, but he's a guy who's in federal prison in uh, Fort Leavenworth, who was framed for killing these uh, FBI agents. Nobody knows who really killed them, but if you research the case, this guy got railroaded. They coerced a bunch of people into testifying against him. Robert Redford made a movie about him called Incident at Oglala. The Val Kilmer movie, uh, Thunderheart, is kind of loosely based on him. But anyway, I, I read this book of his called Prison Writings. And it just really, I don't know, something about that book just got to me. And I had to get a hold of Leonard and talk to him. And he's a painter. So I got a bunch of his art uh, transported out of the prison to show up in Park City. Right. Uh, and I got Michael Blake. I got a hold of him. I didn't know him before, but I asked him to come be the, the guest speaker at the show. And so he shows up and, you know, kind of had a lot in common with him. He, he, he was involved in punk rock in the early days and was friends with this band called X, which was like the first concert that I ever went to. So we just ended up being, becoming really good friends and uh, stayed in touch with him after, you know, he went home to Arizona or something. I just call him and talk to him once in a while about, you know, this is years ago when I was first getting started in art. And he would give me advice just about how to, just artistic vision and, and being true to yourself and not playing to the audience and just kind of like stick, following your dreams completely, no matter what, and dreaming big. And this is, this is from uh, an Academy Award winner, a movie that I had just always loved since I, since I saw it, it really inspired me. Right. And I was, you know, I was stoked to be friends with somebody like that. He told me that the way he came up with that, that movie was he heard this story about a supply train uh, right around the time of the Civil War in like the 1860s had gone out to um, to a camp like in South Dakota or somewhere or maybe it was in Texas I can't remember where it was but they they went out to a, an army fort and the fort had been abandoned nobody knows what happened to the people who were staying there and the guy just turned around and went back to like the the supply fort and he thought well what if I was there and what if I stayed and just imagined it from there so that that really kind of hit me because you know when people are successful and they offer you that advice you should listen to it so what I try to do with with my paintings is I, I really do try to think you know if I was there at that time what do I think I would see you know what I mean I try to put myself there really uh, with my imagination which you have the ability to do and then believe in what you see and then bring it back right that's the job of an artist like uh terence mckenna says that he says the job of an artist is to go into the void find a piece of something that'll that'll help people and bring it back bring back proof that that you killed the dragon 
You know what I mean? Because anybody could say, I just killed the dragon. But it's like, well, what do you got? Where's the gold? You know? That's, that's what art true. is. That's that's what art is. That's what a good movie is. It's somebody that learns something about what it is to be human and can share that with other people and then help them like be a better human, I guess. Which is a pretty high calling. You know what I mean? No, but so if you yeah, if you can do that, you're lucky. You know? Yeah. No, and it I I love the like I'm somebody who's constantly imagining like I always was a daydreamer as a kid you know I always I never translated it into art I'm not really much of an artist but when you told me that it really spoke to me because I've thought about situations and I always place myself there it's kind of the way that I think about things is I put myself there and imagine it but when I imagine it it's not like I'm really basing it off of a, a strict timeline of events it's really just on my own imagination so to be able to take that and put it into art is, is resonates. Well, it's like, man, if you're lucky enough to have a few good teachers in life, dude, I mean, I owe so much to, to good teachers. There was this, uh, my teacher in high school who taught, I, I had her in a class, British literature. And I was the worst student. I think I had like a 0.666 grade point hours. like all F's. You know what I mean? I was drawing the desks. I was the, pariah of the school just this you know raspy looking punk rock kid and all i do is draw these skulls and demons and shit and none of the teachers liked me or thought i was you know anybody with any talent or brains at all like i was a delinquent as far as they were concerned right but there's one teacher and i remember going into the class and she was she was teaching about beowulf right which i've never heard about and she's teaching uh shakespeare macbeth and that stuff was medieval and that interested me. I was like, oh, okay, this stuff's pretty cool. And she explained it so I could understand. And when I would draw stuff on the desk, like in permanent markers, she'd take a picture of it and, and give it to me and say, that's cool. And give me drawing assignments. And she, uh, she sponsored me to get into a gifted and talented class, which I'd never been in. Or everybody in the gifted and talented class like, what the hell is Overton doing in here? He's not, <laughs> he, he's supposed to be in detention. Like you got it all mixed up. It's no, 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 no. He's he's an artist. This kid's going somewhere, you know. And then after um, I end up getting kicked out of that school, and I was gone for a few years. Somehow she tracked me down and sent me a letter, a uh, little card saying, "Get a portfolio. I know you're going to be this great artist." It was my high school teacher, and she was a super cool lady. Like I really respected her, and it, it meant a lot that one teacher kind of believed in me, where everybody was else was going, "You know, you can work that art. You're going to be." you know, a ditch deer. That's what they would say back then. You'd be a ditch deer. If you don't get a job, you know what I mean? But I never, I was enough of a rebel that I didn't listen to people. And, you know, when I was like 20 years old, I found a book by Howard Turpening with Native American art. I saw that movie, Dance with Wolves. And I remembered uh, how much I love Western art. And I, I mostly did pen and ink stuff like comic books, album covers and stuff like that before that. And then got into, got back into painting trying to get oil painting, but I never really went to school for it. I just taught myself how to do it, which is why my stuff's a little different. I'm glad I didn't go to school. I'm glad I hated school because I think school is just a, it, it can be a prison for your mind, you know, to quote the matrix uh, a little bit. If you just, if you don't question it, you don't really, excuse me, use that, that education, you know, with a really discerning mind and actually put that scientific method to work with everything that 
that they're teaching you. Really question it as you're going along. Don't just digest it uh, with, without questioning it. You know what I mean? Which a lot of people do, and then they fall into these shitty lives where they're like, oh, man, I, I obeyed everything that they told me to do. I graduated on time. I went to the college, they said. I got the job, they said, and they hate it. There's a quote out there. It's, most men live lives of silent desperation. Yep. You know, and it's so true. And as I get yeah. older, I see it in people that I went to school with, I and you know, friends that I used to have or that I don't keep in contact with as much that I don't really relate to because you can see it in their eyes when you come across them. It's like you feel a sense of sadness because they re- they're just realizing it now too. Like, oh man. Yeah. It's that psychological process. I can't remember what it was. I um but some some psychological stage in, in life is like this versus that. You know what I'm talking about? And mm-hmm. when you're sort of middle aged, you kind of have, oh, I'm satisfied with what I did versus God, I really have regret. You know, and that's that's where you're at. And I think like I just turned fifty and I'm kind of looking at my life going, Well, you know, I, I blows did a my lot. mind. I'm sorry, man. You you being 50 just blows my mind. If you didn't say that, I wouldn't believe it. <laughs> I just turned 50. Imagine how I feel. <laughs> but no, and it's not bad. I don't care as long as like I feel good at 50 and I don't feel like, you know, um, God, my, all my best days are behind me and my mm-hmm. life's a fucking joke. And, you know, that when you look at yourself like, man, I didn't do it right. You know, that's, that's a, the cool thing is if you can go, man, I still... I still love to do all, I still go skateboarding. I still go snowboarding, like, you know, every day that I can, I still, you know, practice Muay Thai every day. I still, you know, up until uh, a few years ago when I got a couple bad, really bad rib breaks from, from training jujitsu, I was still doing jujitsu. It's just nowadays when you go back, I mean, I learned jujitsu a long time ago when it was chill. Nowadays you go back and everybody's training for tournaments, man. And they're killers. And there's, there's like collegiate wrestlers in there just kicking your ass. And you're like, dude, I'm just coming in here trying to get in shape. It's like, God, you're not in shape. Go home. Oh, God. So, yeah. I mean, I've spent the last uh, couple of years just t- trying to work on strength and conditioning, you know, so you can keep it together. And uh, just flexibility, man, is so important. When you get to be this age, you start losing your flexibility. You don't stretch. You're just like, I can't kick above my waist. Like, Sam Elliott in Roadhouse trying to throw a kick. <laughs> yeah, flexibility is so big, and I I watched some of the David Goggins <clears throat> videos and such. I mean, he suffered big time from flexibility issues with his psoas, where it was yeah. like causing pain in his neck and headaches and all kinds of stuff. So, I I certainly I try, but it's I I struggle to even touch my toes sometimes. I feel like well, the the Chinese uh, have this this method their their martial arts are so like diverse and advanced but the Shaolin monks have this method called Tongzigong right which is like Chinese yoga basically they're kung fu stretching and they say if if you don't practice Tongzigong you're gonna have martial arts until you're about 50 and they're just gonna go after that so that's what I've been trying to focus on and probably not doing enough but just uh making sure you do that yoga you know it'll make all the difference I remember Years ago, like I started out doing uh, like Kempo and Chinese Kung Fu, Hungar, real traditional Chinese stuff. And I, I, everywhere I go back then, I go check out their Kung Fu school, which where there are a lot of those back there. This is before USC and stuff, people still going to Kung Fu school. 
And uh, I went to this one Kung Fu school and I went on a trip, on a trip to San Diego. And there, this is, I was probably like 22 or something back then. And um, there's this guy there, he's like 35 or something. His Kung Fu was amazing, super flexible, really powerful. I was like, dude, and I thought 35 was old, right? How are you still doing this when you're 35? So oh, I do yoga, I'm doing yoga. I'm like, well, what the hell is yoga? And this is, you know, this is 1992. So there's no yoga schools around. Nobody knows what yoga is. And years later, when I enrolled in community college, I saw a yoga class. And so I signed up for it, started getting into yoga. And it was cool because it was just me and a whole bunch of college girls in that class <laughs> stretching. I was like, like, I like this yoga, you know? And so I, I took that for like a semester. And then just bought videos and stuff after that and kept doing it. And I'm not like good at yoga, but it's helped my flexibility for sure. It helped in jujitsu when I got into that. I got into jujitsu because I got uh, injured really bad doing Kung Fu. I was so into Kung Fu. Uh, I, I loved to train like Northern and, and Southern styles with a couple of good masters for about six years, but just got had so, because I'm so tall, I'm like 6'5". Those low stances just aren't made for me and then tweaked out my knees. I got to... Okay. All these knee surgeries. My friend John, I was like, "Dude, come train jujitsu." And I'd seen uh, Pedro Sauer actually when he moved to the U.S. He started teaching at my uh, kung fu school, so I'd seen oh, jujitsu. No but I was just like, you know, I didn't get it. I had, nobody had seen UFC yet, and I was just kind of like, dudes and keys just wrestling. I don't know. It doesn't, you know, it didn't really make sense to me. But then a few years later, I I wanted to train some martial art. So I got into that, went to a, a Walt Bayless class, and he was a sparring partner of Mark Schultz, right? The Olympic wrestler. Oh, wow. Who, who won the UFC, remember that dude? Mm -hmm. He was, um, um, wasn't he the, the basis of that movie with Steve Carell, uh, Fox yeah, Catcher? Yeah, so his brother Dave, that something happened where, I don't know the exact story, but somebody killed him or something, some crazy fan, I think, killed yeah, his brother the, Dave. At the Dupont house. I, I don't know, man. I, I mean, I, I just know, uh, I know more about Mark and he was the, the wrestling coach from, from BYU. He used to train with, with Walt a lot. Mm -hmm. And Walt also had trained with a bunch of Sambo guys and with Pedro. So he had this wrestling Sambo Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu style. It was way ahead of its time for, and this is, you know, 1996. So I was lucky enough to go sign up and train with him. And he was a super cool dude, just doing uh, no gi stuff back then, and uh, just one of the greatest rappers ever. Mark Schultz actually said in an interview that if he had to pick the greatest rapper, it would be Walt Bayless. And Walt Bayless, just the coolest dude ever, taught me more about uh, just how to be humble as a martial artist, not be a bully, and you know, just because back then that that shit was a super tough fight. Yeah. You could go anywhere and just. If you knew jujitsu, you, you could just kill anybody because nobody knew it, you know? So you had to be, you had to be cool. You had to represent it well, which not everybody does, you know? Yeah. Now you got to be careful. You, you know, fuck with the wrong dude at a bar. You might be unconscious in a couple minutes. I know, man. It's like, I remember last Halloween, I was out at a, at a bar at a party and some dudes are spraying silly string and I'm there with my girlfriend and she's, you know, I'm not even paying attention. I'm looking at the band and, and uh, some dudes are spraying silly string on us and she throws a drink on one of the dudes. These three dudes surround me and one of them is like a, an MMA fighter. I'm just like, oh man, here we go. You know, thinking I'm going to have to throw it out. I've been in, you know, my fair share of scraps or whatever. 
and it turned out we uh, had a friend in common. That's a, a another MMA fighter that I know. Like, oh, you know Tyrone? I know Tyrone. We all broke out, and it was no big deal. But I I remember thinking like that's how it is yeah. these days. People people know stuff, man. It's, yeah, they you know, do. But it's you sh- you really should be careful with that because you know uh, you can hurt someone accidentally and really screw up your life. If if you're out there at a bar getting in a fight, man, you get, you gotta kind of examine your life choices a little bit. If you can't talk that down, that's really what you should learn from jujitsu is just to go, hey man, yeah, I'm in trouble. Let's you know. Let's I don't know if everybody. Back. I don't know if everybody else is like me, but there was a day it like happened really quick where I was. I don't want, I wasn't ever out like looking for trouble, but I certainly, there was a day and age where if trouble was there, I didn't mind if I was there, you know what I mean? I, I liked kind of being there and kind of getting mixed up in it. And then it was like overnight, that was the last thing that I wanted. And some people don't seem to make that transition as fast. And they're like, you know, 40, 50, 60 years old, and they're still doing the same old shit. But yeah, it was very clear to me that this is probably time to not be doing that anymore it's stupid man it's like all the basic stuff they taught you in the like your junior high karate class your best move is run this is only for self-defense or to help people it really is man the the thing that martial arts should do for you more than anything is like refine your spirit and and calm your mind it's it's not about this you know what i mean anybody can can go and learn these techniques and, and be a badass, but you might also be a, a total jerk. You know what I mean? And what you have to remember is because you're handed jujitsu, because you went into the class, all this, all this knowledge, it doesn't really belong to you. You didn't create it. You know, you, you should represent it. Well, it was, it's, it's a, God, what a like a huge amount of information that a, a bunch of people who were really dedicated, refined over years and years and years, right? And they passed it down to you. So you're part of that. And you shouldn't be a jerk about it, man. You shouldn't be out there uh, making a bad name for martial arts. Mm-hmm. You know, people need to think that. You need to realize people in the UFC, they're talking trash to hype up the fight. They probably don't actually hate the dude most of the time. They, they know how to sell a fight. It's a little bit of WWE going on, you know? So if, if you want martial arts to really benefit you, make sure it doesn't make you somebody who's dangerous, but is now just a total idiot because, oh, I know, jiu-jitsu. It's like, so what, dude? You know, are you a cool person? Are you a good person? Are you like, uh, do people respect you? I'd rather people say, yeah, that dude knows a lot of jujitsu. He knows a lot of this or that, but he never heard a fly, you know? That's how I'd like to be known, not like, yeah, we're going to jump for him. We've got a quick temper. People who have quick tempers are, they're known to respect. Well, and they typically are the people that haven't been doing it that long, right? Because when you do, when you do do it for a long time, you tend to be a lot, a lot more chill, a lot cooler because you've gained the confidence. And when people have confidence, they're not assholes. And that's the same thing with bullying in school. You know, you hear people say it all the time. One of the best ways to, keep somebody from being a bully is teach them how to fight because it's that kid that's getting his ass kicked at home or you know he's insecure about things and so then he takes it out on other people but when you know how to do things you have a a greater respect and you're probably not going to carry around anger all the time yeah you're not gonna have that chip on your shoulder because you know that's that's the thing when that whole bully 
like anti-bullying thing was going on. I guess it's still going on. I kind of thought that you're just all turning into bullies now. You know, a lot of times people will become what they hate if they're not careful. Yeah. It happens a lot, right? So instead of saying, let's get the bully, it's like, oh, let's talk to the bully. Like understand what, what's going on with you, dude. Let's, let's be, befriend the bully so he doesn't uh, keep being a bully. The best way to make, to deal with your enemy is to, to try to make him a friend, right? So rather than trying to push out that bully and say, get out of here, you, you damn bully. And we're the bullies now. We're bullying the bully and making an outcast who's going to come back later with a, an AK or something. Yeah. Talk to that kid. What's going on with this kid at home? His parents, they don't have enough time. They're working so hard. Okay, maybe he can go over to, uh, you know, somebody else's house. Maybe we could all get him on the baseball team or something. So he feels good about himself. It's not going to be a problem for everybody. You know? Yeah. Need more of it, man. Need, uh, need outlets. You know, it's, I think whether it's athletics or even art, you know, yeah. I'm sure, I'm sure when you're painting, that's just a cathartic experience at times you probably get lost in it. Totally. I mean, the, the best times when you're painting five hours will go by because you're in that, that other world. I used to uh, want to be a tattoo artist and study in Jap traditional Japanese tattooing. And it's based on this form of art called ukiyo-e, right? Which means the floating world. And it's kind of like just the, I guess the dream world, imaginary world, but you're supposed to kind of create your own. And you know, I, I read a lot of books about this doing the research trying to understand that form of art. And when I read that, I thought, God, isn't that cool to be able to make your own world where, you know what I mean? You can go there. And I realized that's what, that's what drawing and painting always was for me. Cause if I couldn't, you know, if things are going bad in the outside world, hey, I can draw something that's so cool in this world. And then I can share that with other people, take them in there too. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's art is, it's such a gift, man. It's a gift that, that you have. And then it's a gift that, that you share. That's what it's all about, really. The art, the music. It's not about like trying to be a virtuoso, trying to be, show off your talent. You know, who cares? There's so many people like Yngwie Malmsteen can play the shit out of guitar, but most of his songs suck. What I'm saying, <laughs> you know what I mean? Man. Yeah, that's what I mean. Because he's not, he's not playing from the heart, really. He's not being like, like Carlos Santana is probably not as uh, technical as Yngwie. For sure he's not. But he's so much better. People like him so much more. Yep. Yngwie's like, me, I am Yngwie. You know, nothing against Yngwie. I'm not trying to hate on Yngwie. I'm just using that as a... Nah, I'm with you, you know, man. Don't I'm... under the bus. But you know what I mean? Yeah. It's like, like, uh, and God, I read something about this on the internet. Somebody was saying something about Joe Satriani. Same type of thing, dude. So technical. Yeah. But for somebody who's that technical, you would, you would think it would make you feel more. You yeah, know? I don't want anybody to take this wrong. I was thinking the same thing when you were talking about Ingve. I was going to say, like, Joe Satriani's a, he's so talented, but he's corny. Like, I, to me, it's, yeah. it's, it's, it's like corny. I'd, I'd rather yeah. listen to Slash you know, miss a couple notes, but pour his heart and soul into a guitar solo that just, it's not vanilla. Yeah. Well, I don't know, man. It's like, I remember a certain, like an art class I had in, was it like junior high, right? And there was a shop teacher, I think was, was teaching art and we we're supposed to draw some thing that was in the middle of the, the room. And I, I drew all these kind of weird faces and, you know, monsters and crap, like a junior high kid's going to draw. 
uh, behind me because I drew the stupid thing and then I'm like, I was done before everyone else. So what do you think I'm going to do? And the dude actually circles it and crosses it out. Like, that's wrong. Like, what are you talking about, dude? You should be encouraging creativity. This is art. He's like, no, man, let me just knock that little bit of imagination you had down. And I, you know, when I went, uh, God, when I was in, in uh, high school, they sent me to the university and I gifted and talented class. Mm-hmm. And I went there. And I hated it, man. There were, I, I took in there some drawing I did of like dragons and demons and all this crazy crap flying through outer space. Really wild drawing, pretty good for like a 16 year old kid, right? And I take it to the professor. Oh, no, no, no. We, we don't want that. That's, you know, so trite and this and that. I'm like, what are you talking about? What are you, you want me to draw a bowl of fruit over here? Like this dude? Like that's art? Are you kidding? And I just, I slept the class, dude. I didn't care. I was like, you know, I just took half a day off every day and went and did whatever I want. I wasn't going to listen to that. Mm-hmm. I don't care if he's a college professor. He's telling me my art's no good. I'm like, dude, I should be teaching this class. I should be teaching you guys how to how to use your imagination. You all forgot. You you started t- taking art class. You forgot how to do art. You, oh no, man. And and you know, it's I thought of that saying: those who, who can do, those who can't teach. Huh. I mean, that was that was totally it. And I think you know a lot of that's true. I mean, not when it comes to you know, like good. I've had a lot of good uh, martial arts teachers who. You know, they, like the last year I trained jujitsu with, Suyong Kieros, dude, here in town, really great jujitsu competitor, Carlson Gracie, uh, black belt, really cool dude, and also a great teacher. So there's there's some people who can do and teach, but there's uh, some people who shouldn't be doing or teaching. Yeah, all right. <laughs> um, so you, you had said like five hours can go by. I wanted to ask you, so, you know, I think about the, the size of um, the painting that Rogan had in his studio. That's a canvas, yeah. right? So that's uh-huh. how how large is something like that? That's I mean, this one behind me, I don't know if you can see it very yep. well, but it's about six feet tall. I mean, I uh used to design haunted houses. So I do huge murals, man. I did like the number one haunted house in the world for years, did one in, in Hong Kong, uh, Ocean World. It's like their their Disney. Over there, all based on Japanese ghosts. So I'm used to painting huge stuff, and this, we paint nine thousand square feet uh, of art for that kind of stuff. So something like this is not a big painting to me. So that's why I can do you know mural-sized work, no problem. Because um, God, I've painted murals that are three hundred feet wide, like, like ninety feet tall, using an automotive uh, paint can, paint spray, airbrush, and stuff like that. So it's, I mean. That, that the first one I did for for Joe, I did a lot faster. I mean, I, I think I stayed up real late every night for about a week because at that time I was also working on a show and doing a whole bunch of prints and everything. So I was just under the gun and I, I got that one done pretty quick. But the last one I did for him, the Soul Catcher, which he just got, he actually just got that yesterday. There's a place in Texas. Um, God, that one took me like six months. Cause I kind of had time to actually work on it. So it depends, man. I have, I have stuff I've been working on for like two, three years. It's just so much detail. I never quite get it done. And then I have other stuff that it just kind of paints itself and I can get it done in two or three days. It's weird. Mm-hmm. It just totally depends. You know? 
right? I'd rather paint a mural size piece than something, you know, yeah, just a, a small paint. It doesn't have the impact. So you sent me Ghost of Wounded Knee and White Bull. And I, I know I wanted to ask you, like you had said when you when you shared that initially that there was kind of a backstory, but that it was your own interpretation. I think back to like what we said earlier. Um, are you able, like you cool to elaborate on what that story was about? Dude, there's so much to that story. That that series of paintings um, started when I was listening to this this talk about string theory and the the infinite. Uh, manifestations of, of the universe and how there's all these different realities and stuff and I kind of it just fascinated me because what the what the theory was saying as I understood it was like if the universe is completely infinite then those patterns have to repeat in some way so that means there's other worlds out there that's just like this one only a little bit different kind of some like I don't know if you've seen the show Rick and Morty but kind of like that you know so I was kind of tripping out on that and I just, you know, I try to bring whatever idea that I'm thinking of to my art. And most of my stuff is very different from Ghost of Wounded Knee. And I just thought, man, I'm gonna, I'm gonna try to represent this kind of spirit world. I'm gonna just try to try to paint the spirit world. And so I just painted this this figure with his arms outstretched and then three, and they're all kind of, they're all you. And then this guy is you in the past, and this guy is you in the future, and then all these other kind of faceless images. There's an, there's an elaboration on it behind me. I don't know if you can see that, but anyway, it's uh, it's kind of like this multiverse of reality, all these sort of, and it's, it's really symbolic of all these like masks that people wear and who you were a few years ago isn't really who you are now. And who you are in a few years isn't gonna be who you are now, but it's still you, like that essence of you, but just a lot of your ideas have changed. So you're actually, a lot of your cells have changed, so you're actually kind of a different person in a way. So that's my way of, you know, trying to express that whole just uh, fascination with the nature of reality. And then also, you know, it has a layer of, of the ghosts of wounded knee, of these, these slain spirits of people and animals that still linger around this land because they were murdered, you know, and they, they haven't been placated we haven't honored them in the way that that we should so i want to show people that and some people might get like offended by it and think well what are you doing painting this is this tragedy i'm like look at it look at it this is our common history this is what your government supported this is this is the, the circle that's been going round and round and we have to take a look at it and realize man we've got third world countries in our country that that we're oppressing and suppressing still with all kinds of different techniques when you stop doing that that crap and and try to make it right as much as we can people will go on all day about my ancestor did this my ancestor did that he was uh eric the viking my ancestor was you know somebody cool that they're proud of yeah, right you do though yeah well not, not only that <laughs> not only that but what i'm saying is what about all those ancestors that completely stole all the land from the Indians and enslaved all the black people and, and, you know, blew up a bunch of Chinese people while they're building the railroads. What about that dude? Are you proud of being related to him? What are you going to do? Or what are you going to say to, to make sure that you're not repeating that same thing? And some people will say, well, I'm not responsible for, 
the actions of my forefathers. Yeah, you're not true, but you could you could do something, man, to make it a little bit better now. You could say something. You could at least learn something and be aware and just make sure you're not being, you know, uh, just really insensitive to what other people are going through. Because there's a reason why uh, black people are pissed off. There's a reason why, uh, you know, Native Americans are disenfranchised and why it's so tough for them to get out of that. Because and if you go up to a res reservation, dude, it's not like it is here where you got a bunch of job opportunity and what, are you just being lazy? No. There's shit food up there, just a bunch of junk food and alcohol right around there and drugs and nothing to do. So, you know what I mean? And if we, if we really want the country to change, man, and there, there's, there's people who can, who can do things to help that. You know, with my art, I, I make sure I donate uh, like a painting every so often for a cause. Like I just donated one, the painting Wolf King, raised about 18,000 bucks for for uh, people on the Navajo reservation who are struggling because of COVID because it's so much harder for them to get supplies now. So that's, and that's just a small thing I can do, but everybody can do that. Whenever I sell a painting, dude, I've been doing this forever. I go find the, the worst off Indian I can in Salt Lake and I give them some money. I might give them a hundred bucks. I don't care if they go buy booze with it. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, and some people might think that's useless, but it's just something I do so I can say, hey, you know, I took something from this culture, which I am, you know what I mean? I'm, I'm learning a lot from it and I'm, I'm making a living off of it. So, yeah, I should give back. I should give back everything I can. And that's why I do the, the show with Leonard's Art and I've uh, helped to build a skateboard park and a, a basketball court on Indian Reservation. Just do a bunch of stuff like that because that's, that's what I should do. You should try to make the world a little bit better. Um, if you're doing okay, man, why not try to help some other people? That's you beautiful. Know? That's that's so cool. I was going to ask you, like, if you get shit for painting Native American. I mean, because initially I wouldn't have thought so, but you know, it, people get people are sensitive, and I and I do I get it, right? But um, no, it's that's awesome that you that you find the, uh, the different ways to be able to go and give back to them for that. It's weird, dude, but most of the time the only people who give me shit about being native americans are not native american they're they're some busybody white dude who's like nah, nah, nah. he's just repeating some bullshit that he heard somebody else say that he doesn't really understand you know what i mean Go most of the, the natives that that i know they can kind of they can tell the difference between somebody who's who's representing them respectfully and someone who's not and people ask me too uh what do native americans think about your art and i'm like that's like asking what do white people think about your art, you idiot. Go, there's a million different opinions. Every single one has a different opinion. They're not all together going, we don't like your art, but we like your art. It's like. Yeah, how ironic. They don't even realize what they're saying is like the most it's racist. Like, and Yeah, I don't know, man. I mean, people are going to criticize you no matter what you do. If you were, God, if you were paying Vikings or something, maybe they'd be like, are you Viking? What right do you have to paint Vikings? It's like, I don't need the right to paint Vikings. There's nobody who hands out a license to paint. Okay. This is, you can paint whatever you want. I'm not painting anything offensive. You know, I'm, I think I'm adding to the, the power and the beauty of the world, man. I'm, I'm trying to paint stuff that when you put it in your house, it's going to connect you with, with power and with freedom and with awe. 
You know what I mean? And there is nothing wrong with that. I'm making the world a better place. I know I am. Every single piece of art I put out there, I connect with people, man. I've been doing it my whole life. I love it. And I would never stop, even if it was illegal and I'd get hung for doing it. I'd, <laughs> I'd still do it, you know? Well, it's why you and I are talking right now. You know what I mean? Because because you did this, because, you know, Joe put your stuff out there. I came across it. It just continues to go on and on and on. And I hope people listen to this and, you know, come away, go check out your stuff and, and get fascinated. I've, I've gone beyond that now. It's like I started, you know, getting glimpses of what the things you were painting. And then I'm like, well, what is this battle? And I want to go and kind of use my imagination and, and learn more about it. And it's fascinated me. And I told you something when we spoke last um, about a painting that hung in my house uh, that my mom and dad got when I, I think it was even before I was born. So Christ, like 35 years ago, and they saw it on the side of the road. And I'm from Bradford, Pennsylvania. It's really close to the Seneca nation of Indians. So uh, a reservation. And I, I, I'm pretty sure it was a native American uh, woman that had it on the side of the road with blankets. And my mom stopped and it was an Indian with a feather in his hair and he had a union civil war jacket and it hung in our house and it was kind of like a had a, a feel to it. it had energy you know like we were saying earlier and my mom went to a psychic or i think she actually had a psychic in the house and when she came in she pointed at the painting and was like don't ever get rid of that he watches over your family and you were saying that you in a lot of cases you know you have this mindset that you hope the the artwork that you provide people is something that can do the same yeah, like a watchdog or like uh, I always think about it like those those food dog things that sit outside the, the Chinese temple, you know, to scare away evil spirits. Mm -hmm. That's what I'm trying to do. And like, that's a cool thing to do for somebody's house, you know, and I hang my my art in my house. And I feel like it, it does that. Like every time you go by, it, if, if you feel a little better, you feel a little stronger. I mean, there's people out there who have so much stress in their lives like um you know people that buy my originals a lot of stuff is pretty pricey like with judge judy bought one zach brown joe rogan you know billionaires some lord in scotland people in germany you know because originals are, are pricey they have to be because i mean i spend a lot of time doing it it's all the money i make so it's kind of like those people have busy lives you know they might be a surgeon they might be an actor they might be just getting off tour or whatever and everybody's barking them 24 7 but maybe they look at that painting and for a second they're out there on the plains you know chilling with the indians they're in a different world where everything is is simple and not so much just phony bullshit babylon type stuff to deal with you know what i mean so that's what i'm trying to provide people is just like that that piece of music that that put you at ease that movie that inspires you and like anybody can do this that's that's into it that's what if, i mean if i was a teacher because i think teachers are so important i would tell young kids or whoever is teaching um you know don't exclude yourself from this don't don't tell a story about talent you know i don't have any musical talent at all but i learned to play the bass and i've been in bands and i've played big shows and i've had so much fun playing in bands but I didn't have any talent I had desire and I was like man I'm gonna sit down and learn this bass 
Yeah. I'm the worst computer person in the world, but I had a desire to get a job doing computer graphics and I did it. So anybody out there that's like going to tell this story of, I want to do this uh, movie, I want to do this or that, but I'm not talented. It's like, no, you're not motivated. You're not brave and you're not ambitious. Because if you were all that, you would need to rely on the talent. Talent is just, it's like an excuse for lazy people why they don't do anything. You know? So true. <laughs> when yeah. your intentions are pure and you do things and you put it out there, you know, you told me something. I believe it, right? You know, you were saying how you'd kind of put the thought, you were watching Rogan's podcast and you were thinking about it. Like, man, yeah. my my artwork would look so dope in that studio. Yeah, dude, it's it's weird, man. I mean, I've told people this story. I don't know if everyone even believes it but because it's almost too weird to be true. But I swear to God, this is totally true, okay? I had paintings and prints up in this gallery in Park City. And they had told me, uh, Joe Rogan was looking at one of your paintings and he liked it. That's all they told me, okay? And I just finished up with a show. I'm usually a, a huge snowboarder and I go all the time, but I took the whole winter off because I was working on this show at this big gallery, it was like my life's goal to do this show, right? And I finally got done with the show, I went snowboarding one day and I get home from snowboarding and like actually, I, I didn't even have Instagram at the time, I had an Instagram but I just had my girlfriend taking care of it because I'm not really like a computer guy or whatever, I just don't pay attention to social media. I mean, I do now, but uh, she comes running upstairs, or no, I, I skipped ahead in the story, I was, I, was, I listened to uh, Joe Rogan podcast and stuff, just watch them on my phone, Right. And I was sitting there watching a podcast and I remember there was a picture of uh, I think it was Elvis and, and Jimmy, Jimi Hendrix on the wall behind him. And I was like, man, somebody did that art. I don't know. It's like Warhol or whose art that is. I, I picture my art there. Why not me? And I was visualizing because I visualize stuff. That's how I that's my technique to, to do things. I think if you visualize something, man, you can make it happen just with with sheer force of will. If you're if you're strong enough, you know. And that that day I was visualizing that before I went snowboarding. I went up and had a really killer day snowboarding. Came home and I was sitting on the couch. My girlfriend comes run upstairs. Joe Rogan just posted your art. I'm like, what the fuck? Joe Rogan posted my art. Why? How did Joe Rogan know that? And and I look at it, I'm like, oh, he bought that. The gallery didn't even tell me that he bought it. So I didn't even know. And all of a sudden, he posted my phone. I still had my my phone on my web, my phone number on my website. I'm getting calls from people like, Who's I'm like what's going on? And I, and so I started print business overnight because I was like, man, I gotta cash in on this. If I'm all these people are following me, I gotta sell them something. So I got a print business going overnight and been selling prints all over the world ever since. It's been crazy, man. I'm up to like I think sixty-three thousand followers or something now. And yeah, and Joe's cool as hell, man. I mean, he, uh, you know, has just been the, the coolest dude ever. Just uh, he and I came up with this idea for my last painting, the one I just shipped to him, the Soul Catcher. He really liked this one called Voice of Thunder, which was turned to the side and had the magpie on its head. Yeah. Um, and he's like, "What about what about that one, but facing forward?" And usually, when you do a painting with the bird on the head face forward it looks like mickey mouse ears or something it just looks kind of cheesy so i never do that i always put it facing to the side it just looks cooler so I'm like, oh man joe rogan wants one facing forward i gotta figure this out so i put the wings up put another bird head put more wings up made it look all symmetrical and then i you know uh i remember he was moving to texas so i put the skull and the snake 
like to represent Texas, kind of like a Pantera thing, whatever, with the snake on the album cover. Um, and it just all came together. He totally, totally liked the painting. And I mean, I spent forever doing that painting, but it's done called the Soul Catcher. Yeah, it's so awesome, dude. I love it. It's, uh, I've got two of them. I, I have uh, Ghost of Wounded Knee and I have um, White Bull. Okay. Yeah. yeah, Ghost of Wounded Knee, that's a, that's a weird one, man. That one, like, uh, it's just got so many layers to it. So many different things to so many different people. I've had some people say, like, they saw that and it brought them to tears. And other people say they, they saw something like that in, in their dream or their vision. It's kind of cool to hear stuff like that. You know? your, your kind of explanation of what you were thinking when you put that together is really like, I appreciate you sharing that because it's given me a whole new perspective now when I look at it. And, and I feel like I relate to it a lot more now because I've been in that place, you know, maybe you had said earlier, like, uh, you know, midlife type crisis shit, right? But yeah. I've thought, of, I just had a son. My son just turned 14 months the other day. And it's like a lot of life events happening and maturing, you know, realizing, you know, what my path is, but realizing that I'm different than who I was five years ago and that I have to embrace that I'm going to be different five years from now and five years from then. And that I've got to keep the good parts of me and shed yeah. the bad and try to yeah. gain new experiences. And that's a big reason what this, this whole podcast is about, you know, like initially, my brother and I were doing a podcast and I loved it. It was so much fun. It was, it was actually really geared towards the cannabis space. It was called the bud brothers and right. we were having a blast, but there was a part of it. Exactly. But it was, fu it was fun. But after a while, like we kind of got caught up in trying to become like, I, I hate to say the like famous word, but like we wanted notoriety for this show and, it quickly became not so fun anymore. And when the pandemic happened, I had had this itch because he and I hadn't done any podcasts for probably like seven, eight months. And I just was like, you know what? I have a couple of friends that I've met just through happenstance and, you know, being, you know, bold enough to reach out and talk to people who I find interesting. And I started to do this and I like got to a point where I was like, I don't even care who's listening. I'm building up this library bank of really awesome conversations with MMA fighters and musicians and a neuroscientist and, you know, a, an artist and, you know, the list goes on and on. And that's something that I take with me. Even if all the footage disappears tomorrow, I take all of that with me. That's yep. it's all with me. And it's, it's also with the people that I've connected with and the coolest part is that it is being listened to. And so these conversations are being now absorbed by fuck dude. I, I was like scrolling through the metrics and it's like 19 different countries that are downloading the podcast and it's nowhere near the scale. I don't have billionaires buying my paintings and Joe Rogan calling me up to custom make artwork, but it's coming from a small town in Pennsylvania where I didn't think that making more than $50,000 was even humanly possible to getting messages from somebody in Amsterdam saying like, Hey man, awesome, awesome podcast. And I know I'll get them for this. You know, people are going to be just blown away because you've become such kind of like a cultural figure in a way. You probably don't want to hear that, but you have, um, that it's just really cool to give that to people. So 
I can't imagine what it must feel like to provide art, which is so much deeper than just a conversation, you know, but. Yeah. I mean, it's, God, it's humbling, dude. It's like, uh, I'm shipping all these prints out. Sometimes I stop and go, wow, like all these are going to be in somebody's house. You know, all these are part of somebody's family. Now all the, the kids in that house are going to go, Oh, the Indian is whatever. They're going to have stories about that. They're going to grow up around it. You know? Yeah. And it's like, it's what I always wanted to do. Anybody who knows me will tell you, I, I told you that he did what he said he's going to do. I told everyone, everyone will know who I am. I'm going to be the top Western artist in the world. I don't care what you say. I'm doing this. You know what I mean? But it's still, I, you know, I'm not arrogant about it. I'm, I'm excited. I'm, I'm grateful. But most of all, I'm just, man, I'm, I'm satisfied that, that I got to communicate what I wanted to say with all these people. Like when I was a really young kid, um, me and a lot of my friends started these punk bands around town and we wanted to say something because that was a cool thing to do back then in the eighties. You wanted to talk about, use your voice and, and speak up and rise up and everything. And man, if you actually get to do that in your life, you're lucky and you should be, you should be careful about what you say and make sure you really mean it. You know what I mean? You shouldn't be talking just to talk, painting just to paint. You should be thinking, man, do I, do I really want to add this? And that is, is what has, God, is what has uh, dawned on me the most is like, now shit, like my stuff is important more than I thought. I thought it was just me, you know, painting what I want, but now I got to realize this is how people are part of how they're kind of going to get into history. So I feel like I got to make sure I represent it well. Same thing that I was talking about with martial artists is like, man, you put on that gi and you're part of that family. Don't go out into the world and be an asshole. You know what I mean? And don't, don't paint Native Americans in a disrespectful way. Don't be exploitive about it. Make sure you're learning those lessons. I mean, it says <clears throat> a lot of Native American cultures, they'll say, they have this saying called walk in a sacred manner. They'll say, we, we pray all day. We don't just pray on Sundays, right? And that, that goes back to what I was telling you about what Benny the Jet says about his affirmations. How he says, just always watch what you say and use your words to heal, not to hurt. I mean, that's an important thing, man, to, to speak impeccably and to watch your step and walk the path and don't just go through this life like, like what you do and what you say doesn't matter. There's so many people... <clears throat> excuse me, on the internet these days who are just sitting there talking so much shit. And it's like, man, you don't, you, you don't realize you're disrespecting yourself. You're dishonoring yourself talking like that. And you're dishonoring your mom and your dad and, and everyone who loves you and, and just really life itself. You know, if, if the best thing you can think of to, to say is to, to put somebody down and, and make fun of their project or whatever, man, maybe you shouldn't say anything. Maybe you don't really have anything to say. Maybe you should wait until you have a good idea because it's like uh God, there's this henry rollins song where there's this line that said the ones who don't do anything are always the ones who try to put you down right and that's so true because of the ones who are doing stuff they're thinking about their ideas like what kind of projects they want to tell you what i got going on they're not like this movie oh here he's did you see that stupid comment he made on the internet really that's what you pay attention to is is facebook and Instagram drama, why? You got nothing better to do? Why don't you go write a song, dude? You know, get a life. That's what I think. Like, I'm, I'm too busy. 
doing what I'm doing to, to worry about what other people are doing or what they think or what they say. It's like, man, if we all just, like what I was talking about with a, a football team in this country and how much a bunch of like, just little gimme gimme's people are and, and telling everybody else what to do. You're doing this wrong, you're doing that wrong. Pointing their fingers all over the place. Think about this finger, when you're pointing it out, there's three more pointing back at you. So that's the fingers you should be worried about. Not going, they didn't do it. It's like, what are you doing? And if, maybe if we all just did a little bit, things would get better, you know? Maybe if instead of everybody just complaining and, and putting each other down and saying the left is wrong, the right is wrong. It's like, stop worrying about what they're doing wrong and start worrying about what you can do right, you know? It's like that, I mean, I think it was Kennedy that said, "What not what you can, what your country can do for you, but what you can do for your country. I mean, people don't think like that anymore, but man, what, what could you do for your country? Could you just maybe shut the hell up and quit trying to make things worse and quit trying to throw fuel on the fire? If, you know, and if you can't do that, then say something good. Do something good, man. Put something good out there and it's going to come back to you. You know, that's all I'm trying to do. And if they can't, then they should turn all their stuff on mute and they should go to your website. What is your website again? <laughs> my website is gregovertonartprince.com i'm such a non-computer guy uh, what is my website what is my email it's uh <laughs> but yeah if, uh, you can get my prints on there you can go follow me on instagram greg Overton fine art and you know message me with all your crazy questions and i might answer it i might not but <laughs> you know you'll at least get to check out some cool art hopefully Oh, it's, it's mind blowing. I, I highly recommend anybody that's listening to this, go and check it out. Greg, uh, dude, congratulations and, and continued success with everything. I'm so thankful to be able to have connected with you. And hopefully this is the, you know, just the beginning of uh, more conversations in the future, but, you know, be safe out there. And uh, I'm looking forward to what's coming next. And uh, I'll send you some photos once I get my two framed up and, and hung somewhere so that you can kind of see it right, that. Cool, looking forward yeah. to it really good talking to you thanks for having me on i really appreciate it and awesome. thanks everyone out there for listening and hope you enjoyed it thanks brother right on man have a good have night a good one. See you, bro.